This is He Said, Then She Said, a series of conversations with Jewish and Gentile couples from around the world. I'm Tuvia Zaretsky, and as your host, I've been researching intercultural challenges as described by those couples for over 20 years. We want to gain an authentic look into how they navigate the unique and complex challenges that they've encountered, and then hear how they find spiritual harmony in their relationships. If you or someone you know needs support within an interfaith Jewish-Gentile relationship, you can reach us by email. The address is tuvia at jewishgentlecouples.com or on the same website, jewishgentlecouples.com, you can find the Connect With Us button. Hope you'll go there and at the end of this, click and say hello. Tell us a little about yourself and how we can serve you. And now I'm absolutely delighted to introduce Martin and Elizabeth Goldsmith. They live in England, about 20 miles north of London. They both serve as visiting lecturers and associate staff at All Nations Christian College there. Now, that distinguished academy trains men and women for God's ministry in a multicultural world, so they understand very well the challenges of cross-cultural communications from their decades of international ministry and their own Jewish-Gentile marriage. So I'm delighted for this opportunity where they can share their story and tell us literally some of their lifelong experiences. And Martin, I want to start with you. How long have you been at All Nations College? Well, we've been involved a long time, 50-odd years. The college actually began long before us. It began in the late 1800s. Oh, okay. We're not that old. (laughs) Yes, you're not. (laughs) Well, I'm so delighted that our uh, our listeners are going to get a chance to meet you today. These are two remarkable people with a a tremendous and variegated background. Um, Martin is a a speaker, uh, a theologian, uh, a teacher, what we call a missiologist, somebody who thinks about how Christian faith is spread through the world. Elizabeth has been um, working as a, a mission worker, serving her faith and Lord for her whole lifetime in many, many places. Martin, there was one thing I saw here. Um, you were you were a trained Russian interpreter. Well, in those days, back in the 1950s, uh, all English young men had to do two years military service. And uh, I spent those two years being trained as a Russian interpreter. Do you still use use that uh, that skill? Um, not very much, I'm afraid. My Russian is now terribly rusty. Just out of curiosity, with all the places that you lived, how many languages did you pick up? I haven't counted, and it always depends what you mean by pick up. I mean, obviously, English is my mother tongue. I have German quite adequately for preaching and lecturing and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Asia, I had Indonesian and Malay. I also speak some French. Yeah, that's about it. I obviously do the old languages of Greek and Hebrew. Yeah. 
And Elizabeth, you were raised in, in China, is that right? Yes, yes, my parents were Christian missionaries there. Uh, my father was a skilled surgeon and went out there to help the Chinese to set up a, a hospital and to teach and train nursing skills and medical skills through his work. And he spent 32 years. Um, and so we are six siblings. We were all brought up in, in China. I think you said you were in a boarding school for part of that time? Yes, yes. The, yeah. and, the only way the children of missionaries could be educated was through this one school on the northeast coast of China. So all the workers from across the whole of China would send their children there. And one by one, all six of us went. And I arrived in 1940 mm. as a six-year-old. Mandarin Chinese was spoken, spoken in the north, and I spoke that quite fluently as a child. Sadly, at school, we, we didn't use it. But um, since then, I've worked on my Chinese a little. Sorry, my Indonesian is more fluent than Chinese. Both of you experienced some unusual cross-cultural experience, uh, aspects in your life in very early years. Um, Elizabeth, what happened uh, when the Japanese came into to China and your family was there? Yes, well, when the Japanese attacked China, to begin with, Western foreigners were exempt from any, any enmity. But of course, after Pearl Harbor in 1940, December 41, overnight we became enemies and we were at the boarding school and they, we looked out the window and saw Japanese soldiers marching into our school compound, closing the gates, taking our headmaster off for interrogation and telling us we were all prisoners of the of the Japanese. And from then on until August 1945, they held us as prisoners. It was five years? Yes, it was five years without seeing our parents. But they moved us. They wanted our very nice school buildings for their um, whatever they needed them for. And they moved us to join all other foreigners, uh, American, Canadian, Australian, whoever, in that area from Beijing and Qingdao, Tianjin, northeast China, to a central prison camp where 1,500 inmates, we were crowded into some buildings that were built to be a Presbyterian Bible school for 200 Chinese students. And we were 1,500 crowded in there, shortage of food and, of course, no new clothes, children getting bigger year by year. And we went barefoot all summer in order to save our shoes. When winter came, well, of course, our feet had grown and we couldn't fit them anymore and had to swap with some larger child. So, yes, it wasn't altogether easy. And then you were reunited with your parents? Um, Sadly, my mother died during that time, which mm. left my father bereft and far, thousand miles inland running a big mission hospital. And it took him a long while to work his way back to the coast of China. But we met up in Hong Kong and met wow. again. And none of that changed your, your outlook on your faith in God? Oh, I think it only deepened it, the need for the China, the desperate need of the Chinese people, the poverty. And in those days, 
is in ignorance and the developed and medically, physically, their great needs. So I've, I felt called by God to join the mission group that my parents had been working in. I want to make sure our listeners get a chance to hear um, the fullness of your story and to know that Elizabeth wrote, wrote it as a book called God Can Be Trusted and uh, we'll include uh, a link to that that wonderful story um, along with this podcast and you can find it in the transcript that has been included at the end of the uh, the podcast and martin also has written a book called life's tapestry martin you're a, a teacher at a, a wonderful bible college in england you're a lover of messiah jesus and at the same time you are a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the uh, the Abrahamic covenant. Tell us a little bit about your, your Jewish background. My grandparents uh, were all Jewish, and so both my parents were Jewish. My grandparents lived in Germany uh, on the one side, and the other side, uh, one was in England and one was in Brazil. They were atheistic, strongly atheistic Jews, so no religion. And so I was brought up with no religion at all. But I was baptized as a baby in order to be properly English. It had no religious significance. But at my infant baptism, somebody gave me a copy of the Bible, the old King James Bible. And when I came to England in 1940, late 1944, early 1945, uh, I found this Bible in a bookcase and it had my name in the front uh, and so I began to read it uh, and uh, gradually I was just so excited with the Jewish history and the Bible is so very Jewish in its communication style. And that gripped me because we weren't taught anything about that. So we were definitely Jewish, and I was very aware of my Jewishness, but uh, we weren't practicing in any way. Your grandparents were in Germany at a time when it seemed that the Jewish community was just beginning to receive stature or status prior to the the emancipation. The, the Jewish community had been um, ghettoized, had been um, persecuted, uh, and, and with the, the more open acceptance within German society, there was a, a desire to, to move up through into German society and culture. And I, I gather that's, that was kind of the stream they were in. My grandparents were definitely upper crust Jews with money and status and education and so on. So they didn't suffer in that sort of way. Uh, but my grandfather is famous for having said that... Uh, under Bismarck, there was no place left in Germany for sophisticated people. It was too militaristic. Germany was no place for them, therefore. And so moved to England. Did your parents meet in England? No, they were married in England, but went to New York for their honeymoon. And something unusual, well, not unusual, something happened in, in uh, New York City on their honeymoon that I wanted you to share with our listeners. Yes, their first night on their honeymoon in in New York, they were in a smart hotel and uh, went to bed. 
And then there was a knock on the door and it was the manager of this big hotel apologized profusely and then asked them, uh, are you, do you happen to be Jewish? They said, well, yes. And he said, well, I'm so sorry, but uh, we can't have Jews in the hotel here. Would you mind getting out of bed and repacking and going to find somewhere else to sleep? I horrified them. Which horrified them, yes. Yeah, yeah. Your family comes, your parents come back to England and as, as a way of adapting not into English society, not only um, anglicizing their name, their family surname, but they baptized their child. And actually, my father was also baptized as a, as a baby because his parents uh, also wanted all their children to fit into England naturally. Uh, they came from a Reformed Jewish background where assimilation was normal. And uh, so they were very keen on assimilation and uh, had all their children baptized as babies. So much of Jewish history was from an outsider's perspective. Jews were tolerated in some places, but always ill-treated as outsiders, not particularly welcome in the community. And, and yet there was this unwillingness to be typecast as victims and to live as victims, but yeah. to do what almost whatever we needed to do to preserve our ethnic identity, to preserve a culture as Jews in the midst of all of that. I see that that's, that's very well, much a part of what you're talking about. You also mentioned that you were in Bermuda, just kind of in passing. But the fact that you were in Bermuda is also very much a part of that, that Jewish experience, isn't it? Why did you end up in Bermuda? Well, up until the Second World War, we lived on the south coast of England. And by 1940, of course, Hitler had conquered France. And on a really clear day, we could see across the water and actually see France in the distance. Uh, and it looked very much as if Hitler would invade England. That was not a good prospect. And so we, and my father had died by then. And so it was just my mother with three small boys. She couldn't do anything to help England in the war. So we left and we went first to New York and then moved on to Bermuda. My Jewishness was very much uh, underlined by that sort of experience. I went to a boarding school in England and uh, very badly bullied for three years from 13 to 15 because of my Jewishness. And of course, after the Second World War, um, it took us a little while to discover, but gradually it came out uh, what had happened under Hitler in Germany in the Third Reich. I remember the shock of sort of learning that and gradually finding out what had happened to the family and so on. And the first person who showed me around London as a boy was a survivor. He was a wreck of a man, completely in trouble as a result of his experiences. And uh, that made a big impression on me too. Elizabeth, did you know that you were, you were marrying into that kind of heritage when the two of you met? No, I just found this attractive young man that I enjoyed talking with very much. And we had the, <laughs> <laughs> we had the same interest in life. Uh, we were both 
uh, fully committed to serving our Lord. We'd both done our training uh, and we were, went to a language school, uh, how to learn a language more efficiently, more effectively. And on the first night, uh, we happened to be sitting at the same table and uh, things happened from then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have traveled the world together, spending... Yeah spending uh, years in Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, South Thailand, opening your hearts and your faith to so many people like that. Martin, in your travels, you've made it to Israel. Um, tell us a little bit about what that has been like for you and, and in what capacities. Yes, well, I never wanted to go to Israel because uh, I felt it would be so touristy, and so that put me off. I was speaking in a mission conference in Thailand and somebody asked me something about Israel and I said, oh, well, I'm, you're asking the wrong person. I've never been there. And there was a, a German missionary, young lady, who'd been a student of mine at All Nations and uh, she was shocked that I, as a Jew, had never been to Israel and she, as a German Gentile, had been over and over and over again. And unknown to me, she began to pray that God would give her money to send us as a family to Israel. Soon after that, a distant relative of hers died, somebody she didn't even know. They left her some money. And uh, I suddenly got a check through the post saying, you know, please go to Israel and take your family with you. So we went and, of course, made contacts with all sorts of people. Then that has led to ministry in Messianic circles since then, several mm -hmm. times. There's a growing Messianic community in Israel. Yes. And that's changing an awareness and interest in who Yeshua is. I do think that sometimes Christians find Israel a little unsettling because it's the only place in the world where you have a concentration of Jewish people who are in the majority. Yes. <laughs> it's it's a bit of an irony, yes. but also a novelty for many Christians. Yes, that's right. And Jew going to Israel, you know, who's brought up in the diaspora, it's quite an amazing experience. And Elizabeth had to tolerate the fact that, that I was adjusting to Israel. <laughs> Couples who are going to listen to this will wonder what it was like for the two of you to find a, a very real and vibrant relationship with the living God. And you're talking about a relationship that has been powerfully spiritual throughout your lives. What would you tell a couple where one is a, a Christian and the other one is not, and they're Jewish and they're struggling? What one spiritual resource would be a real help to the two of them to discover a, a unified faith? So the, the key really is your re relationship with the Lord. And for that, of course, there's nothing like the Gospels in the New Testament. And I would urge people really read those. And whether you're the Jewish partner or the Gentile partner, the Jewishness of it will strike you. If you both love the Lord, then that's a good start to your marriage and a good continuation of your marriage. It's an amazing thought that hundreds and hundreds of years ago, God chose Abraham, and through him, he had this long-term plan how he would prepare the world to send Jesus. And it, they are very special people. Uh, and the more uh, we've 
grown together. I suppose when I first met Martin, um, he was just another believer in, G in Jesus and we encouraged one another. But this special heritage and the insight that comes with it from the, the knowledge of customs and background that has made it very special for me. And I would urge that the Jewish part be flexible and be open to see the Christian faith through both sets of eyes and uh, maintain your, your own background and yet adjust to each other. Martin, um, you didn't ask me to do this, but it seems to me you wrote a book about the Jewishness of one of the, the gospel stories, didn't you? Yes, I wrote a book called Matthew and Mission, the Gospel Through Jewish Eyes. But I've also done one on an Old Testament book, a Hebrew Scriptures book, uh, and the little, wonderful little book of Habakkuk. Uh, and, and it's called Any Complaints, Blame God, which is what Habakkuk does, of course. Thank you both for being part of He Said, Then She Said, Finding Spiritual Harmony in Jewish-Gentile Couple Relationships. You have certainly modeled that. I want to encourage our listeners to, to look at Martin's, the story of his life in Life's Tapestry and Elizabeth's uh, wonderful book about her experiences, God Can Be Trusted. And we'll post those at the conclusion of the written podcast. Thank you both. Oh, it was a privilege. It was a privilege and pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So Martin and Elizabeth have a pretty unique set of cultural backgrounds and life experiences together. Today we heard about Martin's experiences of anti-Semitism and Elizabeth's mistreatment as a child of Christians in occupied China during World War II. And still, both of them found purposeful lives sharing the same faith in one God and one Messiah. There's hope today for finding the same spiritual resource that they gladly describe, and I Hope you found that as you're listening. And I also hope you'll take a moment to visit the Connect With Us page here at JewishGentleCouples.com. Click on that Connect With Us button and let us know how we might serve you and your partner. For now, Shalom. Shalom.